Tales from Corporate. It's your dear girls, Maria. And Elise. (laughs) And we're back with another episode. So what we want to talk about is, hmm, hot button topic right now affecting many individuals in the workplace all over the world, but also especially in the United States here as we have rolled out vaccinations at a commendable rate in comparison to the global community. Return to work. Return to the office. (laughs) RTO. Right, right, Maria. So it's a very funny thing. So I think what's interesting, coming from an IT background, I would say about 70%, 75 depending on your industry within IT, you've always had the ability to work remotely. And I thought what was going to be very interesting about the change for many individuals would be that you got a taste of freedom when it comes to work or setting up your schedule and flexibility. And I definitely felt like you give people a taste of that and then you remove it. What's that going to be like? Right, Maria? Totally. But not just only on an individual level, but on a firm level as well, where for time immemorial, there was lots of skepticism around how productive people can be at home, right? Yeah. I think what's interesting, Maria, is you hear people describing different things. So one of the things I would say about working remotely, and I've been able to at different engagements in the last, oh my goodness, eight years, nine years, (laughs) at different engagements, I've had the ability to work remotely and I knew that one, my employers always get more work out of me. So there's that fine line of the the benefit analysis, if you will, because the corporations benefit from employees' inability to time box their work or stop working extra hours. So there's an upside to that there. But then on the other hand, employers like to install tracking software on their employees (laughs) because they want to know about each keystroke and whether or not they're actively engaged in looking at the screen or moving their mouse or online or logged in. So it's a, I always think it's an exercise of trust, but meeting-wise, you can be very productive in a Zoom session. However, one of the, I would say, negatives of that setup is the inability to get up and walk over to someone's cubicle, office, or desk and have a conversation with them. And you end up with an email relay <laughs> of epic proportions <laughs> because you can't, You know, it's so much miscommunication happening in writing. Even if you think you're crystal clear, people project tone onto the emails. It becomes a whole nother beast. And you're like, this could be so much easier resolved if we were in the office. And sometimes also the ability to make a deal 
close a deal, express influence on a project or decision, a little bit harder and a little bit more of a flat experience via online meeting. But what are your opinions? What are your thoughts, Maria? I would totally agree. I was resonating as you were talking, just thinking about company culture and in particular being a new person in that firm and it being a very different experience when you're a new employee coming in and you were sitting in person at, at desks, open space around other people. You can get a sense for, okay, how do they talk to one another? Who's visiting who? Who's schmoozing who, right? That's a big one that I think it's not often very talked about, but many of us do keep an eye on, okay, what meetings are gathering and who's in those meetings and what's the cadence, right? But even to lef- lesser extent and a, and a broader, uh, more relatable experiences, just getting a sense for what that company culture is like and how people interact with one another, interact with superiors, interact with people who report to them. Little things like what do folks do when there's an issue and how do they resolve conflict? And as you were touching on, when there are sticky or just just slightly more convoluted exchanges with folks, even if it's a a neutral topic, resolving that in person, you get to see the body language, you get to hear tone, you get to know who you're working with in a different way than you can remotely. But as you point out in, in your industry in particular, remote work is not foreign concept at all. But coming back to the the situation at hand, and we're talking about returning to work, I I found um, it interesting, came across some stats based on Department of Labor data that only one in three of us even had the privilege of working from home. About 48 million workers were working from their, you know, sofas, their dining room tables, the floor in some cases, our bedrooms and making makeshift home offices. And then about a little under half of us have already returned to some level of in-person office work, which we're, many firms are calling RTO, the big return to office, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because I know some firms have put a lot of thought into what does RTO look like? How do you consistently keep people safe, right? Some firms have placed distancing indicators everywhere. Remember to stay six feet apart. Remember to wear masks in elevators, for example. There's been plexiglass installed. And if you're listening to this and you haven't been in your physical office space and you don't know what it looks like, don't be surprised if some things have moved around or if there's been things installed in order to keep people from (laughs) being in each other's airspace as, as much as we were before. And things could look different. Things could look very different. I like to say BC before COVID and AC after COVID. (laughs) In BC, people are talking about when we return to normal. Well, I have news. The world as we knew it ended and another one that looks similar took its place. So what's happening now? There's, like I said, people are returning to work, but 
there's not as many people returning to their old jobs because they've had a taste of something different and something new. And many of us have become so accustomed to working from home that their firms, and, and you sent me an article to this effect, that the workers are demanding that they have at least part-time to continue working from home. I, I know my workforce is one of them that's already told us that there's going to be a measure of work from home on a weekly basis, right? Because for a variety of reasons, not for one I can speculate is around insurance, like nobody wants to be involved in smack dab in the middle of a new pandemic. And we still have variants going around, even with all the vaccinations that are happening. There's a lot of people who chose to not do that. How are firms going to, or how are they um, trying to mitigate the risk of people becoming infected on their clock, on their, their watch? So the workspace may literally not be as populated as it was before. There's shifts that some places are thinking about. So some teams will meet and teams that sat near them may not come into the office that day and there'll be schedules where you have handoffs of who's going to be able to be actually physically in the office. There are whole industries that won't be the same for a really long time. So around the uh, workplace, there was the restaurant industry that supported people being in the office, right? Lots of fast casual salad chains and the sandwich shops and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it. This is a major disruption for them as, you know, we're thinking about us as individuals, but when talking about lunch, I often purchased my lunch literally around my workplace. I'd say more than half those restaurants are gone and they've gone out of business. And the restaurants that are left and this is true around the country, they're having issues finding workers to come and actually do the work. They're having shortages uh, of staff, right? And in other areas, they're raising the, the minimum wage. Well, let's interject here mm-hmm. for a moment, Maria. I That's where, hmm, that's why we have this podcast because underneath it all, right? Stripping it down to the bare bones minimum. People come to work to be compensated. Corporations pay people for the work that they do. And in the essence, if you want to use air quotes, what is that work, right? And when you're talking about many restaurants, food service industry, that sector, as far as not being able to staff up, it's been a long issue going on that quarantine really just pulled the cover all the way back on, which is people not being compensated at a living wage. And people want to get very political about right wing, left wing, middle, but this is just economics at its core basics. So this fact that you have people who don't want to return to work or can't afford to return to work to earn those really low salaries, it's showing. So the economy is kind of showing people like, "Mm, this is problematic. Then you have (laughs) also, I would say, in the return to work effort, In the media, the vaccine, COVID in and of itself has been extremely politicized. So then you have the dilemma also for companies and corporations. This is what they don't want to talk about openly, but those are the conversations that they are having in the boardroom, right, Maria? Is insurance. It's about liability. Illegal working overtime. (laughs) (laughs) So 
so was HR. I was <laughs> going to so, touch on that. Speak yeah, on it. So yeah. the board, because you how think about it. You may have people who opted, like where I'm currently employed. You have people who have opted and declined for whatever the reasons, religious or whatever, not to, to get the vaccine. Now, for us at work, they did several surveys and polls, quite extensive ones. They did about, I would say, three or four major ones in the last year plus to figure out where the employees really felt, where were their fears, what were their driving forces, what are their thoughts about returning to the office. And the overwhelming majority of people actually voted for, we had four models to pick from, Maria. And one was purely remote. On the other extreme of the spectrum was five days back in the office, back to normal, if you will. And in between were two hybrid options. One was two days a week, one was three days a week. Two days a week overwhelmingly won the majority. And But then how do you schedule, right? How do you schedule people who may have not disclosed to their employer? <laughs> this is where it gets so fine with the lines and, and the tightrope walk that people have to do. I, for instance, I got vaccinated. I told my employer, my manager, I said, listen, I want to return to work two days a week, but I don't want to come back to work with unvaccinated individuals. See, now that can be very political, right? <laughs> I also have a cousin who works for one of the big four consulting and auditing services firms, and she got booted off of a project quite recently because she expressed no desire to return to the office. So they booted her off that project and she doesn't want to get vaccinated either. And that's her prerogative. So what I'm saying is how do you deal with someone like my family member and then someone like myself and then scheduling all of us back in the office. And what you don't want, right, is an increase or an outbreak of the COVID because that's in many ways a little bit of a setback if it starts spreading at work again. So, so Elise, <laughs> yeah, if I may, on, on that note, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is, there's a TikTok video and I, I can't remember the name of the individual who does it, but it's brilliant because it opens up and she's kind of in her headset with glasses and she's like, I'm calling to conduct a survey with all the employees to find out your level of willingness to return to the office when things open up and it's safe. So may I ask, are, what, what is your willingness to return to the office? And without even breaking up, like with no thought, the respondent, hard pass. <laughs> and then it keeps going. And the next respondent, um, that's a no. The next respondent, um, nope. And then finally, the survey person says, okay, so that's a 100% in office. Got it. <laughs> you know what? Because you think about <laughs> Which is, I'm sorry. That has been our experience of we'll talk to, we'll get on calls. And when it's mixed company, people are, they miss, you know, those side conversations, those hall conversations, meeting people in conference rooms, and they miss the personal interaction. I've talked to people one-on-one and I have not heard a single person, well, maybe one person who's chomping at the bit to get back into the office five days a week. You know why? Because as a worker, mm-hmm. right, Maria, you're mm-hmm. in control of your schedule per se. You log on, you have certain set office hours, if you will, but you can take care of doctor's appointments a lot more discreetly. You can save 
on or just appointments in general. If you're interviewing and you want to get the heck out of that job, <laughs> you can do that way more discreetly than if you had to come in, in the office and then make up an excuse to disappear for two, three hours. To it's crazy. And also you can save. So economically speaking, big picture macroeconomics, people who are in these types of jobs, Maria, their savings are tremendous because they're not spending as they used to having to leave the office. But then like you just pointed out earlier, all of those particular service industries that depended on those dollars have now gone out of business and shuttered. You know, mm -hmm. so it's a it's a it's a hard one. And I actually take issue not with you, but with the long held perception, if you will, outside of technology, especially in financial services, I just want to say that, of remote work as a privilege. In technology it's not a privilege. It's a way of doing work. Simple, simple. But in financial services, they tend to treat it as a privilege. And if your managing director, if your executive director is not allowing it, then your whole group can't do it. You know, it's very much a fiefdom <laughs> type of approach to it. And, it. and I think it's interesting is right now my current engagement is not with a financial services company for the first time in actually a decade. And what I was going to say, Maria, is that financial services is leading the charge besides like hospitality and the service industries. They are leading the charge as far as white collar jobs, pushing people to go back to the office on a tremendous scale. So you have your barons of the industry, your Jamie Dimons, you have all the big banks, Goldman Sachs and investment firms pushing people. You can hear it too on the internet, on the blogs. People don't really want to go back, but they don't really have a choice. It's like, get another job then. Yeah, you want this check or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it's it's interesting you should say that. And I say it's a privilege because it really depends on your function also of, of what industry you're in and what you do for the industry. So completely agree with you, Elise. Financial services has been very stiff about that. But I'd say that uh, it's also, you know, consulting industry. You just mentioned just a moment ago about your cousin and she got booted off the job. That's not financial services. Okay. There's a lot of white, basically the white collar ind industries and, and firms, they all have that. You stuff. have to take a deep breath. Sorry. That yeah, was a deep the sigh was very deep. They they have that perception that look, this is a relationship um, business, and so it's all about showing up, not literally. And there's the term, right? Not phoning it in. Last year, that's all we could do is literally phone it in via Zoom and and WebEx and the rest of it. So there's been a sea change on whole industries done learned about how productive people could be when they don't have to worry about childhood care, when they get one to three hours of their life back because they're not commuting. That's huge, huge. So as you're indicating that, and you and I resonate <laughs> and very much are aligned, so I don't take it personally in the least, I am part of the, what is so important that you as a firm or as an industry are forcing people to leave their children for so many and have to battle with childcare, particularly in the evenings. 
to show up in person what could be done over the phone. A lot of times we talk about uh, a meeting that could be an email. Well, we learned that, I don't know if this happened for you. There was a lot of meetings that over time, as we, the summer settled and we pretty much saw that we're in this for the long haul, we're not going back in a couple of weeks. There was a fall off of meetings. We, we were very meeting heavy in IT. <laughs> We were completely meeting heavy. And I mean, triple booked was a thing, being triple booked. It still is. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying I was shocked to see how many meetings became shorter touch bases. Mm -hmm. So 30 minutes went to 15 or 20 minute meetings and the time was actually respected. Oh, because, you know, because people just got, people reached a threshold with being on remote. And their, and their kids were demanding their time in the background. We've all seen how many little half-dressed little ones coming in with their toys rolling <laughs> around. You know, it, it, kids sometimes, you know, whip us back into focus in the grander, the grander you know, picture in life. My but. favorite is, my favorite, Maria, is when <laughs> the children pop up. When the Zoom background is going, but the children pop up in the background. So there's certain colors that don't uh, keep the projection in the background going. So like, for instance, I would play games on Zoom that if I was drinking from a, a glass, clear glass bottle, it would disappear in my hand and it would just look like I'm drinking nothing. And oh. sometimes certain colors, if you're wearing a certain color, white or black, it'll show up differently. So children or people in general walking around behind someone as they're working, it can break the facade. So I love when people put up these cute little like WeWork backgrounds where it looks like plants are hanging from the ceiling. It looks very like, you know, I'm working, I'm a hipster, I'm working. And then the children pop up. <laughs> So I'm with you. But you know what's going to be oh. the ultimate for many employees? There's mm -hmm. nothing worse than that sinking feeling. That sinking bottom of your pit feeling <laughs> when you know. So this is the difference. You can't put it back. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. When you know that you can be spending your time better than commuting from the outstretches of Pennsylvania and, and New Jersey to get to Manhattan get for to work. Yep. And you have a back to a three hour uh, or two or four hour commute the same for LA you're like uh this is not uh this is not how I want to spend my day my time all of it you start to just go what am I doing with my life and yes you still want to work in that particular industry you may not want to be out of it but it's just like why does it have to dictate that and I think that financial services have always felt this way they're sticklers for a certain type of order and they've been the last to hold out. Just like with crypto and everything else, they're just very formal in many ways. They don't want to let go of that white shoe type of banking. The org chart means everything. And they want to, this is a flex to me. I see it as a flex on those different CEOs of demanding <laughs> the squads come back into the office. <laughs> and they are going, kicking and screaming. The only ones I felt bad for, Maria, were their interns. The interns that started last summer, I felt bad for them in the sense that they come from, I used to have to manage the crew of interns that used to come in for our, our particular department years ago. And they would come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so impressed that they actually were accepted into the program, you know, that they were selected by that particular bank or investment firm. And they were just so excited to make a good impression and the interns ran into the downside 
I think probably maybe 75 to 100% the downside. They didn't have any upside to working remotely for them because one, you never got a chance to connect in person with your immediate handlers, if you will. You didn't get the, ta- the chance to go to the lunches, mixing after work, whether it be with the other interns or with the people in your department to make the good impression. And that's the hard part. How does one get a promotion or flex for the promotion? It's a lot harder making those impressions remotely. If, if I may, building on that is exactly where I was going to go to. I also feel for the moms that were sprinting as hard as everyone else, particularly the men, for those promotions. And then COVID happened and they had to be completely responsible to the mama role, as well as being a worker, but not necessarily the same for some of their counterparts who either were childless or who had childcare or who had a spouse who covered that, or who, quite frankly, who had a wife who covered that. And what happens to their promotions? I feel for those women too, because you know that you can grind for years and something, some circumstance will occur. And last year, it was a whole pandemic that just wipes away your one to two, three years or, or longer of sprinting. And it's for a very altruistic, one of the most virtuous things in the world. It's to be a parent, but... I feel I felt for them. And then there's also a category that's unsung, the folks who had to um, pick up the overflow of work for the parents that were running around with the doctor's appointments or just the childcare. And though they don't get lauded as the parents because they're they don't have that particular responsibility, but they had to work two times as hard as usual because the work had to get done right? There's a, there was a lot of people who were kind of casualties, not literally casualties of the pandemic, but they were employment casualties in a way. Of the change. Yeah. This is a huge, quick, fast change. If you think about it. Corporations take years, months to execute one change, right? Yeah. <laughs> and globally, and then just in a mass scale, everyone had to shift and move quickly those companies that were in the cloud, I'm sure they were like so thankful because that made it a lot easier to set up remote work for their employees versus people who are not, who are still in an on-prem status. But I agree with you about the moms, but it for me, it always comes back to that equation of what work is valued and which type of work is valued more than others. Exactly. And I saw my female counterparts, the moms on the different teams um, that I work with, I would see them... Because for me, I would sleep at different times. I mean, COVID was uh, like most IT people. Sometimes I get better work done in the middle of the night. It's disgusting. And I go, oh, I should do much better in the daytime. But it depends on what I'm working on and and whether or not there's a deadline. And sometimes I can have really extreme streams of consciousness from like a 1 a.m. all the way to the rest of the day. And then I crash at like 4. But my point is, (laughs) is that I would see coming on at different times of the day, I would see all the moms coming on, logging on after hours. So they were trying to make up and keep cadence with the rest of the teams mm-hmm. um, when I guess after they fed the children and tried to put them to bed or it was quieter. 
So, because I would IM them, like, what are you doing on here? It's still nine o'clock at night. And they will go, I just, you know, because tomorrow we have that presentation or we have that meeting and we have the session and I want to make sure I'm prepared and I didn't get a chance to do X, Y, Z. I have to say, it's it ultimately the type of work that is valued, the wages that are given, because for me with women in the office place, until we get 100% parity as far as compensation, it will always be lopsided to an extent. That's right. You know, and if I may, that's, I was going to say, please don't write to us, no shade to the dads, but <laughs> according to the Department of Labor, there is a pay wage differential. And that's not something I made up or I, I am in control of, but Dems, Dems are the breaks for us. And Elise, I just, this pandemic was brutal and shout out to each one of us that are surviving. Some of us have survivor guilt, but we're here. We need to be present. We can do this. We will do it. And I love the point that you were just bringing up on, look at what we thought was impossible in terms of change. And within many of us, we were sent home without advance notice. And within days and weeks and a few months, there was a sea change in what and how we conducted business and, and what we were able to do from home and how we saw work. And so I just wanna take a moment to just really honor us as human beings being adaptive and innovative in times of, of strife and stress. And may we remember that in, in our darkest moments. I love that, Maria. And with that, we're gonna end this episode of Return to Work. We will see you all at the next episode. That's us, Tales from Corporate. Bye-bye. Cheers, y'all.